Good morning, TCC. My name is Florence Salaski. My husband, Ray, and I have been attending probably a little more than 12 years now. And Pastor Norba, I was going to get Ray to read this in Ukrainian, but I didn't have your permission, so maybe next time. Uh, our scripture reading is uh, 1 John 5, uh, verses 5 to 12, and it's the New International Version. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Word of God. Oh, thank you, Florence. You never need permission to read in another language from me. In fact, um, we are trying something kind of new today. I'm not sure even where it's taking place. We're trying some new technology that uh, Victoria, one of the ladies that we sponsored from uh, the Ukraine last spring, uh, is actually translating this service. And there are some maybe around you that are maybe have earbuds in or something, and they're using Wi-Fi uh, to understand the translation that's being done kind of simultaneously. And so um, if you're uh, with us today and you're Ukrainian, yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> And, and this was so new, I was, I was actually emailing back and forth with Victoria this morning, and I went, you know, I bet you there's technology where you can just, like, take a manuscript and dump it in and hit translate, and it does. And guess what? It does. And, uh, and so she has a Ukrainian uh, manuscript of my message this morning that she can make the translation a little bit easier for us. So that's awesome. Lots of, like, my heart is really full, guys. I have to tell you that there's some really exciting things. Um, I don't know, I know that Pastor Tim is back in the sound booth today, um, but I don't know if Tylo made it, and we can congratulate them on the birth of their first child, Tate. Awesome. And I have to just say another quick word, too. Yesterday, I had uh, the opportunity to sit with some of our family ministries team. And you parents, you are incredibly fortunate and blessed to have a team that loves Jesus as much as those girls do. And uh, they're doing a study on prayer, and it was just so awesome to just sit with them and hear them interact with one another. And, and so your kids are in incredible hands upstairs, and uh, it's just so awesome to see that as well. And again, thanks to Resurgence. They, I know you guys kind of split up. I don't think you girls got the memo that you're all going to sit over here. Um, but uh, thanks uh, to being there. And I don't know if you've got that slide there, 
just, uh, just want to uh, communicate again. Um, Resurgence is a, is a citywide uh, initiative. Uh, their mission is to um, reach and to revive and to release um, uh, leaders and kingdom people. And so they have monthly gatherings. And if you are interested, um, back at the Connect Center, there's just a little card like this that has some information about how you can connect with Resurgence. And then also the next four dates in September, October, November, and December. And they move around to different churches. We've hosted it here ourselves as a church, but the next uh, four are at other churches. So pick up this card. And they're usually Saturday nights, right, Donovan? And I uh, just encourage you to be part of what kind of God's doing uh, on a citywide perspective as well. Well, you know, I don't see uh, a lot of movies, and, and there's good reason for, for that. I don't find, you know, maybe movies as good or as interesting as maybe they, they used to be. I know I understand that technology and some of that is, is amazing. I, I maybe don't see them as much because I find that there's other things to do. Um, there's other ways that I maybe would rather spend my time. <clears throat> but probably the real reason that I don't see a lot of movies is because I usually fall asleep. Um, it, it's true. My family teases me all the time because it's not actually usually, it's all the time. Um, I could even, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we did actually go see a movie in a theater and all of a sudden I felt Tina's elbow in my ribs waking me up from what was going to be a really nice slumber in that comfortable seat. Um, but the favorite type of movie that I have is probably action and suspense. And that's probably another reason why I don't see a lot of movies, because that's not Tina's genre. She would prefer, you know, maybe more of the feel-good movies. But I, I like war movies. I like true stories. I like true war movies, right? I like sports movies. I like true sports movies, those kind of things. And, uh, and I, I actually like courtroom dramas or kind of these, these uh, legal-type type things. You know, so after referencing some 80s songs last week, um, I was thinking about a 90s courtroom war drama. Anybody have an idea? No. I, I can't hear you if you aren't shouting it out. So um, the movie that came to mind was A Few Good Men. Do you remember this movie? Um, now, it was in 92, so I know probably most of you, well, not most, but many of you were not born uh, even at that time. But it had this all-star cast of like Tom Cruise when he wasn't weird yet and, uh, and Demi Moore and um, Jack Nicholson and Kevin Bacon and uh, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. It was, it was an amazing um, cast at least and the plot was somewhat predictable but it follows the court-martial of two U.S. Marines that are charged with the murder of a fellow Marine and ultimately the tribulations of the lawyers as they prepare uh, this case. Now, my point is not at all to get into the, the plot or to spoil it for any of you if you're looking for, for something to, to watch on Netflix or whatever. But you, if you remember the movie, there's this dramatic climax. Uh, it's in the courtroom. Of course, it's towards the end of the movie when the lawyer who Tom Cruise plays, he's interrogating the base commander, Colonel Jessup, uh, who's played by Jack Nicholson. And he's, he's a little bit arrogant. He's a little pompous. He's pretty proud. And and, uh, and they get into this really intense back and forth. And if there's ever a clip that you've seen from a movie, it's probably that clip. And uh, they're going back and forth. And, and, and Colonel just, you want answers? Yes, I'm entitled to answer. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. 
Do you remember that? Did I do a pretty good Jack Nicholson? I don't know. But then, but then the colonel goes off on this rant, extolling the militaries and, of course, his own importance to national security, and um, really ends up, in, a, in essence, condemning himself. The fact is that there are people today that can't handle the truth about Jesus. Because to accept the truth about who Jesus is forces us ultimately to make a decision one way or another. You can't say that you believe in Jesus and then deny that he himself said, I am the way and the life and the truth and no one comes to the Father except through me. It was this Jesus who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and with all your strength. It was just Jesus who invited us to follow him, and I will make you fishers of men. It was just Jesus who said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You see, when faced about the truth who Jesus is, you either submit to his lordship and the authority of scripture, or you don't. But one day, the Bible says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord. And sometimes, because the cost of following Jesus or the cost of discipleship is so high, we ignore or dismiss the truth of who Jesus is. Our culture often has no idea of who Jesus is, using it as a throwaway swear word at times. But if they do have an idea of who Jesus is, they may see him as a a good teacher, right? A role model, a good example, a good man who did things and did good things when he lived on earth. And all of this just adds to the confusion about who Jesus is. But what they don't see him is, as the incarnate son of God who lived and died and rose again and as a result purchased for us salvation and eternal life and calls us to a life here and now of abiding and following him in obedience. And that's why we can declare as we sung this morning the truth of our own story. I was buried beneath my shame. Or guilt, maybe. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. I was, I was held captive to this guilt and this shame. That was until I met you. And I love this line. I was breathing, but not alive. Isn't that an incredible testimony of so many in our world? They think they're really living. They even think that they're experiencing the good life. But they don't have the abundant life that Jesus offers. All my failures I tried to hide, that too was my tomb till I met you. You called my name. Has he called your name? And then I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Friends, if that 
is your experience, then you need to just deeply enjoy that and celebrate that and give thanks to God for that because he rescued you. Right? Well, we're in the final stretch of our series uh, in 1 John. We've been calling this certainty in confusing times where we've been learning to walk with Jesus through belief, love, and obedience in a world that often is confused. And so these are just basic truths that John is just putting over and over and over again. It's really laying a foundation for us about how we walk out and live the Christian life. And so I want to return where we left off last week in chapter 5 and verse 5. Now, these verses that Florence read for us, they're admittedly difficult to understand in some ways, and hopefully I can make sense of some of these verses and that we come once again to a place where we understand and appreciate how really living for Jesus means a life of faithful trust. So somebody put it once this way, and I, I think maybe, maybe you've seen this or maybe you haven't, but maybe this just puts it into perspective and, uh, and you can hang on to this uh, throughout the rest of the morning. But it's simply this, no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. You see, this really comes down to a matter of life and death. And so while these verses may be a little difficult to understand, they're nonetheless very, very important. And so I've organized my message just around three words, and I hope that these will help you make sense of this passage as well when you study it on your own. The three words are simply truth, testimony, and trust. And so let's look at each of those three. First, a declaration of truth. A declaration of truth. So John had just finished writing about the victory that those who had been born of God experienced. That those who have been born again spiritually through faith in Jesus, he calls them ultimately overcomers. And now in verse 5, he asks and answers a question, and it's a bold declaration of truth. The first, the question, he says, who is it that overcomes the world? Okay, who is it? We all want to know the answer to these questions. And as we've already seen, John uses this phrase, the world, to refer to a system or a worldview that describes ultimately humanity's rebellion against God. The world, if you haven't noticed, is opposed to God. Now, back in chapter 2 and verse 15, John warned his readers and, and us. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And then he went on to describe the world. And he used those very three descriptive phrases, right? He said, the lust of the flesh. So when cravings and desires control us, he talked about the lust of the eyes, right? Where we live in such a way that when we see something, we, we, we love it, we want it, we, we, we go after it. And then the pride of life, where we rely on our own achievements and our own possessions and the life that we've made for ourselves. And all of that stands in stark contrast to loving God. But make no mistake, it's these things that are ultimately opposed to God that make obedience difficult. It's these things that the world is preoccupied, and then oftentimes as believers, we're sometimes pressured to conform. And John says, who is it that overcomes the world? And then he answers his bold truth with this, 
Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is it that overcomes? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so therefore this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are, in John's words, an overcomer. And sometimes we think living for Jesus is futile. We're tempted to believe that the enemy is is winning and that evil is out of control, that temptation is irresistible. The world is full of chaos and confusion and it's spinning out of control and we just don't even know what to do with it. But you know what we do with it? We hang our hat on this truth and we say, the word says that because I believe in the Son of God, I'm an overcomer. So we stick out our chest and we walk with confidence. Not because of our own achievements, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And that it is through our faith in the risen, resurrected Jesus that we're overcomers. And so John comes and he reminds us that when we have an unshakable conviction something that I called in the very first message in the series, a joyful confidence that the Jesus of the first century is in fact the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who came to bring us salvation and life. If that's what we believe, then we're overcomers. Think about that the next time. You're sitting in front of your computer screen or you've got your phone or your iPad in your hand and the temptations come. Think about that the next time you're tempted to lose your temper because somebody cut you off in traffic. We're overcomers. You see, when we believe this, we have life here and now. We have hope. We have joy, not death, not despair, not fear, but hope and life, no matter what our circumstances might otherwise declare. You see, as we sung earlier, we are a Jesus people who speak Jesus. Why? Because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Friends, you want abundant life. You know, we, 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 we probably, if we've grown up in church, we talk a lot about eternal life for good reason. But we fail to remember that it's the abundant life that is available to us here and now. And that we can walk in confidence and enjoy all because of what Jesus has done. It's not just a future reality. It's a present reality. Now that might sound cliche, but let's not complicate it, right? It's simple and straightforward that those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God overcome the world. And friends, this is a truth that is applied in really no other way than through spending time in the Word, right? We are a work in progress, We're growing, we're changing, sometimes slowly, sometimes imperceptibly. But as we come to know Jesus and we grow deeper in our love for him, it becomes easier to trust him even in the battles of life. 
Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher and writer of the 19th century, said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Just let that settle in for a minute. And that's why it's so important to find daily time to carve out for silence and solitude so that you can spend time with God and spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer, listening to him through his word and growing in love and obedience. And so that is the declaration of truth, that those who believe in the Son of God have overcome the world. Secondly, we see the testimony of three witnesses. Now, just in case maybe we're struggling to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John then writes to address this very issue. Remember, this is what some of the false teachers uh, in his day were saying, that Jesus wasn't, in fact, the incarnate Son of God. And you might remember in the opening verses of the letter, John shared his testimony of knowing Jesus personally, his firsthand experience, right? And he said, we have heard him, right? In other words, he's saying, I was there. I heard him speaking. I heard him teaching. Take it from me. Because not only did we hear him, we, we've seen him. We saw him perform miracles. People were healed. I was there when he calmed the sea. He was a credible witness. He says, I looked at him. And, and, and it sounds like that would be similar to, well, you've seen him and you looked at him, but really what he's got is, is like, I looked intensely at him. John looked Jesus right in the eyes. And he says, I touched him. How many times did John and the other disciples hug Jesus, embrace Jesus? Maybe they even high-fived Jesus. I bet you they did. You see, John was giving first-hand eyewitness testimony of the reality of Jesus, whom he and all of the other disciples knew was the Son of God. But now he calls three more witnesses to the stand to validate who Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, look at verses 6 to 8. There we read, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, this is the part that I said earlier isn't maybe the easiest to understand. And there are some differences in understanding these verses. I'll tell you where I've landed, and then you can do some of your own research and see if you agree with some of the other views. But I believe the first witness that John calls here as the water, most commentators, in fact, would be in agreement this is, that this is, in fact, reference to his baptism, to the baptism of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Let me just read this there. He says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is John the Baptist. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, 
he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now we know from the testimony of the Bible that Jesus was the son of God before this baptism took place. He already existed with God the Father at creation. And it's at his baptism that God affirms there again, you are my son. And the false teachers use this event to say, ah, you see, you know, Jesus wasn't fully God and he wasn't fully man. He was a child born of Mary, fathered by Joseph, and his divinity descended on him at his baptism and then left again before the cross. But that's not what John's saying at all. You see, throughout this letter, John has been establishing the truth of who Jesus is, and he's refuting the false claims of the, of the false teachers. And so Jesus, John says over and over again, is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, from his birth to his death and forever. Because if, in fact, Jesus was not the Christ... If Jesus was not the Son of God, then he was not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if that were true, then we would still be in our sins, feeling the guilt and the weight and, uh, and, the, and the shame and the weight of our, of our shame. There'd be no salvation. There'd be no forgiveness of sin. Friends, you see, that's why this is so important. I have to tell you, I, I, as I read this, I'm just like, oh man, I should have just included it in last week's message or maybe in the next week's message. And, you know, there's just a few verses here. But I was really convicted rather than just glossing over it to go, no, this is important. It's critical that we understand this. Well, the second witness called to the stand then, he says, is the blood. Here John is referring to the crucifixion of Jesus because blood was associated with death. And so again, John is making it clear that Jesus' death on the cross, the shedding of blood, was for the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right? Earlier in 1 John 1 and verse 7, he wrote, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all or from every sin. And then in John 2, 2, he says, he, referring to Jesus, of course, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, Jesus' death was a mighty act of God for our salvation. The false teachers denied this truth. But John says, you can't argue with the blood. It was an expert witness. And then the last witness he calls is the Spirit. This is an obvious reference to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And not only does the Spirit tell the truth, he is the truth. In fact, in John's Gospel, John chapter 15, verse 26, John wrote, When the Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So this was Jesus already declaring back in John's Gospel that the Spirit would be the one that would testify 
as to the reality of who Jesus is. You see, it is the Spirit ultimately who opens our eyes to see the truth about Jesus. We don't do that for ourselves, or we can't force others to see the truth about Jesus. We can simply declare the truth about who he is, but ultimately, it is the Spirit who makes it possible to believe. Note, too, that John here makes a point about there being three witnesses, right? So the water, which refers to his baptism, the blood, which refers to his death, and ultimately the Spirit. And then he says, the three are in agreement. Now, John is building this incredible case here. Because in the Old Testament and the New Testament, important issues were decided by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in any case, it's vital that all of the witnesses agree with one another. Because otherwise, you would doubt or you would have doubt as to the reliability of one or more of the witnesses. And so John is building a case for Christ by affirming that the testimony of all three witnesses ultimately corroborate the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And as if the testimony of these three witnesses wasn't proof enough, John adds in verse 9, we accept human testimony, he says, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. It's the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Now, in court cases, we accept and trust the testimony of human beings, right? We, we you know, oftentimes a, a lawyer will try to, you know, make cast doubt or question the reliability of the witness. But ultimately, when a case is tried, you have to accept the truth that these witnesses are sharing. And so John's just saying, well, if we do that, how much more should we trust the testimony of these three witnesses? Because ultimately, God himself is behind each of them. You see, it was God who was a witness of Jesus' baptism. What did he declare? You are my son. It was God who was a witness witness of Jesus' crucifixion and death. And it was God who was a witness in the coming of the Spirit. See, John says that God's testimony, in fact, is greater. Why? Because it comes from God himself. I mean, really, I mean, if God says Jesus was his son... Who am I then to say, eh, I'm not so sure about that. So when we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, when we believe that Jesus did what he did on the cross, and that he did it so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life, we have this sense of, and confirmation of all, that all of this is true. Okay? So we have a declaration of truth. The one who believes overcomes. We have the testimony of these three witnesses. Jesus' baptism, his death, and the Spirit, all ultimately coming from God's testimony. And lastly, we have a commitment of trust. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. I don't think John could have been any clearer. 
Because ultimately, this is the choice before us. We can trust in the testimony of God about Jesus, or we don't. It's pretty black and white. And this choice, though, has eternal consequences. Because ultimately, by rejecting the evidence for Jesus, the unbeliever, he says, makes God out to be a liar. Because this is what God said about Jesus. And so either we believe it or we don't. We accept his testimony or we don't. And ultimately, even unbelief is a choice. And then in verses 11 and 12, he concludes with this. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And that life is in his son. That whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So I say it again. It's really a matter of life and death. That you either have this life or you don't. You have either committed your life to Jesus or you haven't. There's no neutral ground when it comes to your commitment of trust in Jesus Christ. He says, whoever has the Son has life. To have the Son means that you believe in the Son, that you've made a commitment of trust, that it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we have this life both now and forever, abundant life now and eternal life forever. So just three quick truths about eternal life from these last two verses. First of all, eternal life is a gift we receive. If you look closely at verse 11, it says, God has given us eternal life. This is a gift from God. We don't earn it, right? That's why Paul in Ephesians says, right, that, um, now the verse isn't coming to me. Verse, somebody help me out. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved by faith. This is the gift of God, right? So faith is a gift And eternal life is the gift that we ultimately receive when we say yes to Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in you. For my eternity, yes. But for my present reality now. Secondly, eternal life is found in Jesus. He says in the second half of verse 11, after he says he's given us eternal life, he says, and this life is in his Son. See, Christ alone is the source of our salvation. He's the source of our present abundant life and our eternal life. That's why we sometimes sing, right, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone. And thirdly, eternal life is a present possession. Right? Whoever has the Son presently has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So we have it now. And nothing can take it away. So I have to ask you this morning. Do you have the Son? That's what it comes down to. Our eternal destiny hangs on this question. It's either life 
or it's death. So we have in these verses a declaration of truth. We have a testimony of three witnesses. And then we're invited to make a commitment of trust. It's either yes or it's no. You can't say, I don't know. Right? If I ask you this morning, are you married? It's either yes or it's no. If you say, I don't know... (laughs) There's other issues. But do you have the son? Like seriously. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or 13 or 14 or if you're 82 or 83 or 84. Do you have the son? Can you unequivocally say yes? I have the Son. I know the Son. I've put my faith in the Son of God. Well, then live that life. Walk out your faith and our belief in Jesus through our love of God and love of others and walk it out in obedience as we've been seeing so many times repeated by John in this letter. Live out the life in such a way that there is no doubt that others can look at the testimony of your life and say, you know what? I think that person knows Jesus. I think that person has Jesus in their lives. But if I ask you the question, do you have the son? And you say no. And friend, that's something you got to settle today. And my prayer is, is that the Spirit of God right now is just welling up inside of you and making it virtually impossible to resist that invitation to receive the gift of salvation that is offered to us freely in Christ. And when you respond in faith and in trust, your life changes. Will will all of the hardships and some of the things that you're facing go away? Probably not right away. Maybe not ever in some cases. But now you're walking with Jesus and you're an overcomer. You're a victor. Have you discovered that it's very sweet to trust in Jesus? Just to take him at his word? Just, it's great to just trust in his promises and to say, thus saith the Lord. Is your testimony one where you can say, Jesus, Jesus, oh, how I've proved him over and over. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and we're going to close this morning with the singing of this hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Are you? Precious Jesus, Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me. He's with you. And he will be with you to the end. 
Let's stand, let me pray, and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this declaration of truth that those who believe in the Son of God are overcomers. And we can live a confident, joy-filled life because of Jesus. And Father, we have seen in these words the testimony of the baptism of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the Spirit himself testifying. And Father, I believe that there are many here who would actually be able to bear witness of that. That it is the Spirit that just over and over again affirms to them the truth that Jesus is the Christ who died to take away the sins of the world, who died to take away my sins. But I do, Father, know that we come to a place where we do have to make this commitment of trust. And Lord, as we will now sing, I pray that this would be a declaration for those who have the Son and know the Son. And I pray that it would be an invitation to those who don't know the Son, that the offer of eternal life, both here and now and forever, is available to them by simply responding and saying yes to Jesus. In whose name we pray.